Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Liftoff Journeys. This is our podcast where we talk to the most interesting people about their journeys in their personal and professional careers. And today, I'm super excited to have my friend Patrick Ward on the podcast with us. How's it going, Patrick? Really good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I know, Patrick, you and I met through the Forbes Communication Council, and you've been a big supporter of all of these efforts, gosh, for quite a while. So thank you for that. And I promised that I would have you on the show, what, three months ago? And now here we are finally getting time to have you on the show and tell your story to the entire world, or at least the audience that's listening to us. So super glad to have you on the show. And I know that our listeners are going to be really intrigued with what you do today, how you got here, and just some of your ideas in general about marketing, advertising, communications, and the future of where everything is going. So do you want to start out and share a little bit of your background? Yeah. So I started, like many of us, in in college. And like most of us, I'm figuring, what am I going to do with my life? You know, we've gone through primary education, secondary education, it's time to it's time to grow up and think about where I'm going to be in the world. So I started with one major, economics, that didn't really work for me. I tried finance, didn't work for me. But I got it right the third time with marketing. And what I really liked about marketing was this idea that it's people-centric rather than you know other fields which might be a little bit more technical in nature might be a little bit more on hard skills you know i've always been a very social person so marketing made a lot of sense and naturally at the time my default was thinking well if you're going to go into marketing you'd work for an agency so i started working for an advertising agency doing really fun work for an insurance client. I remember the first article I ever wrote was about stopping distances for different vehicles, the most you know fascinating of, of topics. But over time, what I realized is actually there, there was something here because you know there's sort of two different ways that people approach marketing. Some people like to become an industry expert and just focus very solidly on that industry. Or other people, myself included, like to see there are a core set of principles about communication. And those principles can be applied regardless of the industry. You can always add that knowledge on top, but really understanding you know, why people buy certain products and services, what excites them about brands, how you communicate those values about a certain brand to people, that stuff lasts right across the spectrum. And so I've been very fortunate over the many years that I've been in the field to go into a bit of real estate, a bit of travel, a bit of finance, and, and where I am right now in the world, the exciting, very sexy world of B2B tech. Yes, that is, of course, a joke. It is not that sexy. But what I found, funnily enough, is that's my home. My home is taking what on the surface seems boring to most people and finding a way through creative communication, creative expression to find the interest, to find what matters in it. And that's where you find me today. That's that's so interesting. I have four things that you said during this conversation that I want to just dive into. I'm going to go way back to the beginning. So you had three different majors. Did you stay in school longer than a four-year or normal term or did you switch during your time in school? So you still graduated in, you know, generally 
the same amount of time anybody else would. Yeah. So the funny thing is that in Australia, my home country, uh, a standard degree is a three-year degree, which is contrarian to the typical four-year degree. So I'd gone through a couple of those different majors. I'd taken a couple of summer classes to make sure I would graduate on time. But funny thing was, I'd done two exchanges in the United States, one at George Washington in DC and one at UCLA. And I had this inkling, I had this desire to come back to America. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I figured let's position myself to get there. And so I took the one four-year degree option that was available to me. It basically added a political science major to my existing marketing major, and that made it a four-year degree. And you wouldn't believe when I finally did come to America how much that paid off because people were like, okay, University of Sydney, I've heard of the city of Sydney, but I don't know this institution, ah, but you've done a four-year degree, so that makes sense, all good. I cannot tell you the amount of palpable relief coming to this country, but okay, like I'm, I'm starting from square one here, I need to yeah. prove that like, I am legitimately qualified to do the work in the field. <laughs> I love it. So it all worked out in the end for you. That's great. Because you were naming so many degrees. I was picturing you could have, you know, just stayed in college as some people do so they don't have to go out into the real world for 12, 15 years. You never know. So four years. That's great. Your first article about the stopping distances. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm pretty sure my dad read that article because there's one thing my dad said to me the entire time that I've ever driven with him the entire time from little till, you know, a few years ago, it was, why are you driving so close to the car in front of you? Don't you know the safe stopping distances? But don't worry, when he passed away, he turned that over to my husband, who now reminds me of that every day. So I'm going to blame it all on you for the fact that I get reminded when I'm driving that I should be farther away. <laughs> so you probably didn't realize you were changing people's lives back then, but look at that. I was in the thick of it with that article because this was the first piece of content I ever wrote and I was trying to do a good job. Like I was a, a very young kid at the time. I was just trying to impress my boss. This was back in the day where you would literally title word documents like version one, version two, version final, final, final. There were 47 versions of that article because my boss was really particular about words. And at the time I was impudent. I was a little like, why is he like so fixated on each of these words? What I realized at the end of that product was, oh, I get it. It's not just about writing a story. It's not just putting words on the page. You've got to make people feel something and being able to articulate not just with words, but the right words makes a huge difference. And so, yes, it was a painful process, but later on in that job, I was getting it down to maybe like three or four versions of an article rather than 47. <laughs> Well, good for you. In my early days at JCPenney, I had to, to write uh, 
acknowledgement letters from the director of the credit division all the way down to employees that worked at the different call centers and regional centers. And I would have to rewrite them almost seven times to get exactly the right phrase in the word. But with my piece, a lot of the feedback was it needed to be culturally appropriate. Mm. Would they use this phrase or this uh, word in Minneapolis? Is this the way that somebody would say something in Tampa? And it was a really, as you said, a huge learning experience because it was very painful you had to do it many times you kept thinking why in the world can't i just say what i want to say but at the end of the day it matters so much to the person that's reading it and i've always kept that with me as i'm sure you have too since you're telling the story you know a few years later <laughs> very much so i think it's so important to set our egos aside like one of and this is just a little hack that i i suggest to many marketers when you're trying to write a piece of content, start from customer reviews or customer testimonials and pick words that they themselves use. Because too often we write from our own egos and we write from a perspective of, oh, well, this makes sense to me, therefore, why don't others understand it? But really the art of communication is not whether you understand it, but purely does your audience understand it? And that's why you need to really get into that habit of, hey, if I use the words that these types of people or this ICP or this persona or this executive uses, it's going to really accelerate the adoption and understanding of your message far greater than anything you're going to come up with just sitting with your own thoughts. So true. So true. And I encourage anybody that works for me to always go out and talk to the end customer, whether it's B2B or B2C. There's what you think is important from a product standpoint or a writing perspective. And then there's what the users or the buyers think is important. And so to my third point, you mentioned that you thought B2B being sexy was a joke. But I have to say, you know, it is a pretty challenging and exciting field because you're challenged every day with turning something very technical into something that people can emotionally relate to. So how do you do that? I think one of the things that was told to me by an old VP of sales of mine who, who since moved to a new role, he really encountered the power of analogies and impressed that idea upon me very strongly because naturally being in the world of technical development, most of the executives who are buying, their CEOs, their CMOs, they're very smart people, but they're not technically minded. And quite honestly, they don't care because that's not the result. They're trying to use that technical product in order to accomplish another goal, whether it's increasing customer loyalty, whether it's driving revenue, what, whatever the case may be. And so quickly deploying analogies that are relevant to a person really helps. He showed me an example where he used to sell to architects and naturally they didn't care about what coding language, what programming. So he put it in the terms of building a house. It's like, well, why are we doing it in this fashion with this coding language? Well, because it is the number one rated language for building a foundation. Okay. That makes sense. Why can't you tell me how much it's going to cost? Well, do you tell a client how much a house costs, regardless of getting how many rooms do they want? Do they want a driveway? Do they need a closed or open garage? 
How many bathrooms do they need? Do they want it north facing or west facing or any things of these different specifications? And so by using those types of analogies that people can know and relate to, it's really powerful. I've even, funnily enough, used this myself when influencing my own CEO, because my CEO, like many CEOs, always says the same thing to me. Patrick, just tell me which marketing channel is going to drive all the results for our business. You know, I need to find the one channel that works and put all my money into that. And to that, I know that my current CEO is a big real estate investor. So I say, do you buy the first house that gets advertised to you from a cold email? Well, no. Well, walk me through that process. Well, maybe I see the property. Maybe I look at some reviews of this agent versus that agent. Maybe I check Better Business Bureau. Maybe I look on social media. Maybe I see if there are any peers who know this person. Oh, see what you've named there? Five different separate channels, separate touch points. And the aggregate of that is what has convinced you to buy. Same process. But that's the point. If you start from an analogy, people are much more receptive to understanding as opposed to using your own language. Like jargon, as much as it's fun for each person within an industry, it's very off-putting for someone outside it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, coming from the B2B space, if you, I worked with IBM as a client, you know, I've worked with so many companies as a client where there's literally a dictionary for all the acronyms that not only describe the products, but how they talk about them. And it takes you a couple of weeks to even figure out what in the heck someone is saying. My favorite is when the acronyms also mean seven other things in real life. And you're trying to Google what, you know, so what an uh, SME is. Yep. An SME could be subject matter expert, could be small, medium enterprise. It, it could mean social media. It could mean so many different things that you really have to boil it down. And I love what you said about the analogies. Makes so much sense. I'm going to try that now on my next conversation. <laughs> I have a call in an hour and I'm going to use analogies and see how it works. So <laughs> I will report back. We'll have to do another podcast. Just yeah. like I follow people on Shark Tank, we'll do one to see you know, how are the analogies working. <laughs> So throughout your career, it, it feels like communication and connecting with people, as you said, has been at the heart of everything that you do. Where do you think that can take you? I think this is one of the most powerful and underrated skills of marketers because marketers have an insatiable curiosity and they use it poorly. And how do I mean that? They are too quick to chase after shiny objects, right? They often get into this really toxic mindset of, you know, there's 10 different things I should be doing and I should be doing it because I'm holding myself to a high standard and therefore I should do all of them well. That's great. That's not a bad work ethic, but where it puts you in a disservice is you're always playing catch up. And so the thing that I always tell marketers, especially when they're coming into an organization, is they need to focus on what matters to the people who are in a position of power over their particular career trajectory. Now, that could be 
inside a company. It could be a CEO. It could be if you're reporting to a head of marketing, it could be a CMO. Could be outside. It could be a mentor. It could be certain people you network with that could get you that next opportunity. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't even matter if you do all ten things well. Just that if you do three things that matter most to those people. Because the funny thing is, there's always more we could be doing. Marketers know this more than anyone because we spend so much time thinking we know all the things we should be doing. But that's a toxic word. Should shouldn't be that. You should be focusing on. What are the three most impactful areas? And that comes back to communication. You know, sitting down, having those honest conversations of, you know, in six months' time, what would success look like? In six months' time, if I delivered three things, what the three things would make you go wow? When you can get it to that level, when you can tap into those needs of people who influence your career, then you're going to go places. And the funny thing is, every marketer is already sitting on this skill set because you already do it to convince your end customers to buy your product or service. You just need to apply that exact same methodology to yourself. And it's so true. We're like, what do they call it? The shoemaker's children have no shoes. When it comes to you, oftentimes you forget to focus on what's important. And I think you hit on something that's so critical. And I know LinkedIn in their B2B resources has this great resource called Translating Marketing to Finance. And it sounds like it's going to be something that's very difficult and involves a lot of numbers, but it really takes what you say as a marketer and puts it in the language that a CFO would appreciate so you can get your budget approved or validated, which is important. And everything that you're saying here, you know, just supports that theory and also makes it super simple to do. You know, what are the three things that are going to move the needle? I find myself having that conversation with newer marketers as well who want to come and tell me about how a tactic is doing. And I keep saying, well, that's great. I, I'm really great that our social media grew by a thousand percent over the last month and the engagement grew by two thousand percent. How are we in meeting the earnings target that you know the person or company is looking for us to hit? If social media did not push us over the edge, go back and share it with your team, but let's focus on the things that really are gonna make a difference. And after all, you know, it's it's in my opinion, marketing is about building the brand and building the bottom line. And those two things have to come together through great communications internally and externally. Absolutely. And I loved your point about the CFO because this is so critical. And I say this as someone who is not great at Excel, doesn't really like data, doesn't really like numbers. I love the human element, but just getting, you don't even need a huge amount of uh, you know, analytical expertise. You just need to know a couple of key numbers that matter. And the reason, here's a number one sign that you know you're doing this right. Because most people, unfortunately, still view marketing as a cost center. But I had a conversation with my CEO earlier this year, and we were talking about business strategy across the organization. How are we going to grow, particularly because of the economic climate? And he used the words, well, if I look across this company and I look across the departments, 
when I invest in marketing, I get the best ROI. And those two words, the fact he used invest and ROI showed me that clearly my communication of numbers was working because he wasn't saying, oh, my marketing spend or the costs or all of that. He wasn't putting, he understood that if I put a dollar into marketing, I get a return from it. And again, we know we're in the best position right now to be the biggest driver of growth for many different organizations, whether they're B2C or B2B. We just need to seize that power and use it well. I love it. And congratulations. What a huge statement. That one, you're going to have to take this podcast and save that snippet of the recording. And when you have a bad day at work, just replay yeah. that part and remind yourself how awesome you are at your job, which we all need resiliency training. It's, it's a whole big part of that thing. But I think, I think that's so fabulous and really does go back to the power of communications, the power of connecting with people and everything that you do. Now, I know you and I met through the Forbes Communication Council, which is such a great entity and organization. But outside of finding you there, how else can people get in touch with you? Because it sounds like a lot of people could use your advice on what are the key communication elements to share with your CEO or CFO? How do you pull it all together? And you know, how do you effectively create such a successful work environment? I mean, LinkedIn is always number one. So linkedin.com slash IN slash Patrick James Ward, all one word. Um, I will always respond to people on LinkedIn because, you know, it's my social media platform of choice. I've always found it to be where, you know, the self-described nerds like myself congregate. And um, yeah, it's just a more elevated conversation. So yes, anyone can feel free to reach out to me there and I'll be happy to to talk to you about your marketing. Sounds fantastic. Any last minute advice for people that are looking into a career as marketing? Do they need the poli sci degree or just a four year degree or does that not matter anymore because the world's changed? I think the one thing I would say is especially if you're going into a technical field or a technology adjacent field, don't get obsessive about the technical ramifications. Please, please, please preserve the human element of marketing. And the reason I say this is twofold. One, it's gonna get you the best results. And two, it's going to make what you do so valuable. I'm at the forefront of seeing AI in action. We have an incubation studio within our company. And I can tell you the one thing that gets replaced time and time again is monotonous tasks, data crunching, analytics, because machines do that better. But machines do not think creatively better. And that is a key difference. So if you can be that creative, innovative, focusing on why people buy, focusing on the human elements of motivation, psychology, persuasion, that stuff, that goes back to our roots. You know, humans, as much as we think that we are very different now than the past, the human of today is not all that different from the human a few thousand years ago. We still think in many of the same ways. So understand the human and you'll be a very successful marketer. Love it. 
Love it. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for being a guest on Lift Off Journeys. I'm so excited that you were able to come on the show today, share all your wisdom, and I hope that everybody connects with you on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm.